The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Going Global, a business's boring pop-up series brought to you by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. NZTE wants to help more Kiwi businesses reach their global potential. Visit getthere.nz to find out more. And now, here are your hosts, Brianne West and Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa and welcome to Going Global, a special pop-up series where we meet some of Aotearoa's most successful and inspiring exporters to find out the secrets to their success and bust some myths along the way. I'm Lucy Blackiston and this is not my podcast, but I am introducing it, which I love. I'm from Shit You Should Care About, and I'm actually the guest today. Lucy is joining me, Simon Pound, and Brianne West, founder of Etik, to explore everything exporting. We're here to talk about exporting with all kinds of exporters to find out how it works, what it takes, and how we can get more of the great businesses in New Zealand doing it. We're speaking to six great exporters over six weeks to find out, like Lucy in 2018, Lucy Baggiston, Ruby Edwards and Olivia Mercer began Shit You Should Care About, a podcast and new media project. They wanted news they cared about in formats relevant to them. They knew lots of people care about social justice and Harry Styles and wanted to make smart, clear news for anyone else who might be the same. It's been wildly successful. They now have over 3.6 million Instagram followers for their brand of direct conversational and demystifying takes on news and culture. To talk the journey, sharing news with the world and their export story, Lucy Blackiston joins us now. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And is that kind of the most old man way anyone's described what you do? No, well, no. Anytime Harry Styles makes his way into the intro, I'm like, they get it. They get it. This is going to be a great chat. I'm so excited to talk to you. How did it all how did you start something this big? Okay, well, you never think when you start something that it's going to become this big because it's just wildly, it's just wildly big. And I love it, but it's also scary. How did it start? So it started because I was in my third year of uni um, at Victoria University and I was studying international relations and media studies and I suddenly was sitting in my class and I was like, why do I not understand literally any of the references or the readings or anything my lecturer is saying. Like, I knew he was a great lecturer. I'd been there for three years. I should be picking up what he's putting down at this point. And then I realised it's because I get bored really easy. I lose focus really easily. And everything I was reading was, like, in black and white. There was all this jargon that I didn't understand. And no one was using words that I was using with my mates. And then I was kind of like, why not? So I text Ruby and Liv, who are the co-founders of Shit You Should Care About. And also, like, we've been best friends since we're about 15. We're all from Blenheim, which is a small town, so plenty of time to dream up big ideas like this. And I text them and I said, I think we should start something called Shit You Should Care About where people can literally care about or talk about or think about whatever they want. We can be the starting point and we can just use words that we all understand and that we all use in our day-to-day lives. From then, it has taken, it's been through a few phases. It's always been like a side project um, until 2020 when it really sort of took off. And, yeah, now it's now it's an actual job. <laughs> what happened in 2020 and how did it, how did it take off? Well, the world turned to shit 
I mean, it was already, you know, there were things happening all over the world pre-2020, but 2020 was when it felt like everything came to a head. We obviously had COVID-19. We had a pandemic that no one had seen before and nobody understood. And especially young people just wanted to be able to make sense of it with, I guess, as little words and as little jargon as possible. So I was about to move to London and I was stuck in New Zealand. So I had all this time to be like, I will make sense of this. Ruby was also at the time stuck in New Zealand. And so she was like, I will help you make sense of this. So we had COVID-19 and then we had the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, which really taught us that this platform is not about what we have to say whatsoever um, on a lot of issues, especially being three New Zealanders. It really made me put like the editor's hat on and be like, how am I going to cover issues that I don't personally touch? And the way that we could do that was we have this huge network of activists and people with feet on the ground and I'm always reading emails and comments and like people can really let me know what's happening in their world and then we can share that. So we had the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. We had Donald Trump's presidency coming to an end, thankfully. And we also had an election in New Zealand. So 2020, people just, and they were all inside stuck on their phones. And so they were hungry for information. They were mystified by the world. And we were there ready to help them. And we didn't make any money on this. It was all because it was like doing, giving the world a service, I guess, or giving the young people that read our stuff um, a service. And, and how does it appear in the world? Like, what's the difference of the way that you're presenting this information for people? Well, the difference is, so at the very beginning, it was a, it was a blog that um, we were like, yep, we're all going to write three pieces a week. It's going to go on a blog. And then very quickly, we realised that actually all of us aren't writers and all of us aren't con- content creators and we don't all have time in between uni and work to be doing this. So one day, I think I just put something that I'd written for the blog onto Instagram, which we know is traditionally a photo sharing place. And it was at that time, it was like full of influencers trying to sell us teeth whitening or skinny tea. And and I just put like some information on Instagram. Didn't feel groundbreaking, but the reaction I saw to it was like, people loved being able to read on their photo sharing app. And so from there, um, I think we really started focusing on using Instagram or social media more broadly as a place to really reach the young people. It was where they were. We were basically just meeting our mates where they were at. And then it turned into a podcast as well. We have a podcast called The Shit Show, which is about explaining the world. And another podcast about pop culture because we are so such big believers that you can care about multiple things at once, the highbrow, the lowbrow, the really important, and just the things that make you feel good. And then also a daily newsletter that I wake up in the morning and write every day just to keep us all in the loop with the world. It's a lot. <laughs> it is definitely a full-time job. It is definitely well, a full-time job. an amazing job, job that's for sure. <laughs> um, so you've obviously gone through lots of different changes. Uh, do you plan? Do these things happen organically? Are you just like, sod it, we'll try this? How does it work? Great question because I am the most impatient person in the world, which is why having a small team of my best friends who fill the gaps perfectly. So Liv is our creative director, creative genius. She makes it all look gorgeous and eye-catching. Ruby is the commercial gal. She does all our partnerships. She makes sure that we keep this ship running. And I write all the content and basically make sure that we all know what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And so 
I'm super impatient, but I'm also like my whole thing is just start something and figure it out on the way. Because if you spend too much time planning and and thinking too much, especially if you have a huge audience that you're talking to, you'll just never say anything or do anything because that anxiety will just like get you in a chokehold. So I'm very, do something. If you're going to fail, you're going to fail real quick and you can just figure it out. And our audience is so receptive to me making mistakes and then being like, oh my gosh, guys, I'm so sorry. This is what I did wrong. So we can all learn and let's try it again. And so I'm lucky with my audience. I love that attitude. It seems like you have absolutely wild levels of engagement. Like (laughs) there are other things on Instagram that have three and a half million plus likes, but they don't get hundreds of thousands of people liking and, you know, tens of thousands of engagements and comments and stuff. Tell me about that kind of like, um, like that connection. Like, yeah, like what's going on there? I think, I mean, I love the engagement we get because it was a definite decision at the beginning of Shit You Should Care About that it was never about our faces, never about who we were. We weren't influencers. We were always, you know, we want to be a media company, if anything, if this is going to be anything. And do we know who runs the BBC? Could we recognise them walking down the street? And we were like, no, we don't want people to associate us with the like good work that we're doing because it's just not about us and our personal lives or how we look. So I think the fact that we can get engagement through a tone of voice, I think is like something I'm really proud of because no one knows who I am or what I look like, but they're extremely connected to me. And it's because truly I talk to everyone as if they're my best friend because anyone that's willing to know a little bit more about the world or who loves Harry Styles, like they genuinely are my besties. I love it. And I think the engagement comes from just, I'm very open with them, but without giving too much that it becomes dangerous for me or, you know, there's a lot of terrible people online. There's a lot of terrible people, that's for sure. There's a lot of shit going on. To use uh, your podcast name, it sort of feels like the world's a bit of a shit show at times and particularly right now. So how do you decide what you're going to talk about without depressing the living daylights out of your audience but making them aware of what's going on if they're not already? I mean... How do I decide? Yeah. Um, an annoying answer, really annoying answer is I've been doing this for three years so my gut is pretty good at knowing what needs to be talked about. So I wake up in the morning and I read all the news and I'm like, yes, the world needs to know about this, everyone's talking about this, maybe no one knows about this and they probably should. And then we have the beautiful transaction of our audience who are living in places that I would otherwise have no connection to, emailing me and being like, hey, Luce, not sure if you want to include this or not, but this is happening in my hometown or this is happening over here. And even if I don't include it that day, it just, I have this, I'm really lucky that I have like a wealth of people with the knowledge that are also really willing to teach me as much as I'm willing to then teach the rest of the audience. I love the way that it kind of um, functions as kind of Cliff's notes as well. <laughs> like, you know, being able to go, oh, I've got the top line on what this thing's all about. And yeah, because not everyone can get to the bottom of really complicated issues. They just don't have the ability or the time or the space in their lives or know how to kind of like balance competing viewpoints. Mm. And so much stuff seems to be um, about confusing people to give people a nice, clear um, guide with like its politics on its sleeve is is um seems to be a thing that yeah like like it makes a lot of sense to be of value. Yeah, I think oh, I have a lot of thoughts on everything you just said. 
One of the thoughts is that the media is like an ecosystem. So first of all, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without the brilliant work of the journalists actually breaking the stories. I can't break down something that hasn't been broken by someone else. But I think that in a lot of like the wonderful scientific research or academic research that we have, the missing part is that middleman that's there to communicate it to the masses. So there's wonderful reports, but they're all in black and white and they're really hard to understand. And then what I love to do and I've learned how to do is take something that is really mystifying and, yeah, condense it and be able to be that person that communicates it to everyone or whoever wants to listen. The other thing that you said that I want to touch on is that um, – our whole thing is that we're not experts, but we are here to give you a starting point. So I'll never, I will never know the context of every single world conflict or or every environmental issue. But the very least that I can do for the world, I think, is be slightly across a lot of things and let people feel like they can pick and choose rather than, you know, be really in depth on one thing. I'd rather give a whole lot of stepping stones to people. You want to be a media company? That's we are one. Well, yeah. you are. But you want to be like you want to. I assume you want to be a billion dollar media company. We're just going to put that ambition out there for you. How on earth? How are you going to grow it further? I mean, you have had phenomenal success. I mean, do you are you just going to keep doing what you're doing, which is obviously working? Have you got other plans that you're allowed to say? Uh, this one, I spend a lot of time thinking about this and the future of shit you should care about. And obviously, we're very new. We've been full time. Me, Ruby, and lives live for maybe about six months. And the the answer at the moment is we don't want to become this huge media company and I don't want to scale up for the sake of scaling up. I really, really love my job right now. And I know Rubes and Liv love their jobs as well. And a lot of that, one, I need to protect my happiness because a lot of the work is in the news and it's blending it with my life. And so if I'm struggling, then the business is going to struggle. And so I, first of all, I'm really careful about, I want to love what I'm doing so I can do a good job for this huge audience. And the second one is I think ego is really removed from what we do. You know, no one knows who we are and we never want to just grow for the sake of growing, even though, you know, there could be times when maybe people want to invest or people want to buy us or whatever. It's just at the moment, we're really happy just, you know, making enough money to pay ourselves, doing the thing we love, and then also being able to put it down if we can, which may be a bit different to other businesses. But at the moment, I'm just so happy doing what we do and paying my rent. I mean, it would always be nice to be a bit more comfortable, but... It's such a nice, balanced attitude, and I swear, if you talk, talk to a male founder, that probably wouldn't be your answer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I really want to stay happy. I just want to love what I do every day, or else the whole product, which relies on me loving what I do every day, is going to fail. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about the way you've set up the kind of... The, the business model around it, so it is the community as well as, you know, other traditional kind of media forms. Yeah, so they're invested in wanting you to be doing well as well. Hey, they don't want you to yeah. be miserable. They're, yes. they're kind of on your team. Yeah, t- tell us about how that works. So it's the best thing ever because our community really cares about, especially the people that read the morning newsletter, they care about how I'm going. And we've recently just launched a supporters sort of section or model where you can genuinely just pay because you love 
what I'm doing. Um, and we're really in the business of normalizing, supporting the media that you love, because as young people, we haven't had to pay for a newspaper or had to pay for really, you know, anything to do with the media because it's all been there on social media. And now we're moving into a time where if you find media that you love and you trust and that is actually good because there's so much out there, then you, if you have the means, you should support them because, speaking from experience, this shit costs money to make and I want to be able to keep making the good stuff because there's just so much, you know, misinformation out there. We also do, like you said, offer advertising with brands that we actually do really care about and having both advertising and the supporters means that because I'm extremely stubborn and like picky with who we work with it means I can say no to more of the people that don't really align with us I mean I already say no to anyone that doesn't align but it means that I can do it knowing that I'll pay my rent next month so we I mean we don't close off any options to have partners or make money that way but having multiple things going on at once and then the option of like New Zealand on air funding we had a web series funded and so I think we're just open to everything but the best way is when our supporters are like Lucy we'll just pay so that you can do this because we don't want you to stop yeah it's really nice you know you're doing something right when your community pays you to do it Mm. Ah, and how much of that kind of community and market is overseas? Like, um, and when did you kind of work out in the process of things like, oh, we're not making a New Zealand um, thing at all. We're making a world thing. It was during 2020 when America, and America continues to have uh, a lot of shit going on, that we sort of started seeing this like exponential growth over in the States. So on Instagram, at least, which is where we can get the best demographics, is over 50% of our audience is based in the States. And I think New Zealand is like the fifth highest. So I think only about 4% of our readers are in New Zealand on the Instagram anyway. Um, But I love being a New Zealand-based and like global-facing brand or organisation because I think that our New Zealandness makes us interesting to the rest of the world but it's also just like having access to the market as a media company in the states or even in Australia is so important for us because they are a little bit further ahead in terms of things like podcast advertising and Instagram advertising or things like that it's it means I have to explain our value a little bit less which sort of preserves some of my energy so I I love facing globally so you, you find it, it's interesting that New Zealand is a little bit, well, not necessarily behind, but less interested in embracing the, the power of social media. I do find that um, personally a few times. I think they're interested in embracing it, but their budgets just, mm. I think it's unbalanced how much they want to work with you, even though you get really good engagement compared to how much like you should absolutely be charging for that engagement. So yeah, over in the US where I think they've been doing a bit more marketing on social media they just seem to be prioritizing a bit more yeah it is good to see the change that no longer this labor is not expected to be free Mm, absolutely it is is labor and should be charged for accordingly and it is nice to see the attitude change and every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. So true. Uh-huh. And we're going to be back uh, in a couple of minutes uh, to talk about some of um, the challenges on the road to export and what you can learn if you're thinking of going global. 
We said earlier that exporting looks a lot more like the old traditional New Zealand business. What does that mean, Brian? I mean, it's bananas that women are seriously underrepresented when it comes to export. Around 28% of our goods companies in Aotearoa are led by women. But when we look at goods exporters, that number drops to 15%. What could it do for New Zealand if all of the cool, or even just more of the cool woman-led companies in this country did get to exporting. Just imagine, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise wants to support more people to reach their global potential. So if you're a woman in business and this korero has got you thinking about what you have to offer beyond our borders, get in touch with NZTE. To find out how they can help you get there, head to getthere.nz forward slash woman. We're here back with Lucy Blackiston discussing exporting and a bit of a theme of this podcast series has been that there's so many people who are selling overseas and who are doing export but aren't considering themselves export and so they're not getting all the help they could and maybe not getting uh, everything they could to grow and do better. And so, yeah, just kind of wondering, is this something you've experienced? Like you're exporting heaps, all your money's coming from overseas, you've got this massive international audience. Did you consider yourself an exporter? No, I will jump on this pod and say not an expert in exporting, not an export in exporting, expert in exporting, <laughs> or in talking actually. Um, honestly, this is one of the first times that I've thought about it in context with us and exporting. I always say New Zealand-based, global-facing, and I love working globally. I love working working in New Zealand as well, but. Yeah, a lot of our stuff is going overseas and people are paying us from overseas. So I guess we I guess we are. And by not having kind of been thinking about that, like, you know, have you gone and got help to, I don't know, like grow international markets or market size or do any of that stuff or, you, you know, get help with compliance, regulation or? I mean, no, we haven't had help. We haven't had anyone internationally helping us. I mean, Shameless plug, but the spin-off have helped us hugely in terms of um, how to be a media company, which along with that, I've learned just so, so much. But in terms of having people overseas that help us, I mean, the, f- the most help we've probably got is our accountant who tells us how to receive US dollars. But yeah, could definitely, that's probably somewhere that in the future, if we do want to go huge, which I don't know if we do, um, we'll need some help with. A big problem for a lot of companies when they're trying to talk to a global audience through one platform like Instagram is you cannot possibly get all of the cultural nuance. And we used the term pooch in, um, I don't know, I think we we're talking about uh, one of our dog shampoos and we said pooch and it turns out in America that doesn't mean dog. <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, it, it's a similar area to a lady part. Okay. Yeah. So I just we- wanted to see how you would say that. <laughs> I did that quite delicately, I thought. I did that quite well. Yes, you did. You smashed it. <laughs> And then pooch shampoo becomes quite evocative. <gasps> it does. It becomes something that Actually, could that's a process. Yeah, but it would have to smell a certain way, wouldn't it? True. Mm. Of pooch. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a new product for her. How do you how do you navigate that? But I guess you've, you've somewhat answered it. If you get it wrong, you front up immediately, um, which is the way to handle anything. But how do you try and ensure that the messages you're getting across resonates across as many audiences or as many markets, I should say, as you have? 
Sometimes I love it when our, especially our New Zealand slang, doesn't land because it's really good for engagement, for one, because people are like, well, why do you call that an ice block? It's obviously a popsicle or something like that. And it's just, it's that really nice type of engagement where people are fighting over something that doesn't really matter. So it's kind of like part of our strategy, I guess, is that um, one, if it doesn't land, it's quite good for engagement. And two, it's a learning moment for all of us. And that can be for something way more important, or it can be for something quite mundane, like I use Morena in the daily newsletter. And I get people from all around the world, one, asking me what it means, and two, using it back to me. And so, so it can be really, really cool like that. I mean, there's obviously more important things when you're talking about different cultures. And I'll often, again, use my audience. If I am being my best editorial self beforehand, I will have thought to go and speak to someone and figure out how to phrase something or um, how people like to be referred to. Otherwise, like I mentioned before, the audience is usually pretty good at commenting or emailing me and being like, oh, Luce, we don't say that here or we would have phrased it like this or you should talk about the court trial in this way and then I can either instantly, if it's on Instagram or um, in the newsletter the next day, be like, holy shit, this was my bad, but here's what I learned. So I kind of like getting it wrong if it's, like, harmless and I can learn from it. I never want to hurt anyone, obviously. Mm. And how do you actually kind of, like, grow things there? Is it, like, community members, like, telling other people, whoa, you've got to listen to this, it's awesome, you've got to read this, or people sharing things to their stories, or, you know, what what's the actual mechanism? As, um, do you see kind of, like, big bursts after you cover something in a particular way, or, yeah, what, what what's happening out there? Um. Okay, I think, if honestly, if I had the answer to that, everyone would have huge platforms, and I wish I did have the answer. We were sort of right place, right time, where it was really interesting because celebrities or anyone with a platform really were under pressure to show that they had opinions on things and that they cared about things. And whether just because you have a platform means that you should take a stance on something and tell your followers to feel or think a certain way, whether that's right or not, is a whole other conversation. But in 2020, it certainly happened. And celebrities like, big celebrities like Billie Eilish or Ariana Grande were, they started looking to our account um, for, you know, things that they could share about COVID-19 or people that would platform that were talking about Black Lives Matter. And I guess it made it easy to show that they cared by using our words, which, again... Whether that's right or wrong, another conversation, but it's just what happened. And so celebrity sharing was what got us. I think we had like 200,000 followers in one month and then a million in the next. And so that was terrifying, but it was because just so much was happening at once and everyone wanted to show that they were supporting the right people, which was lovely. There was so much solidarity over that time, but it was now that we've sort of we're two years past that online activism, I think, is like, you can always be doing more and probably in more meaningful spaces with more context. Have you had those supernova moments as well? Like, how does it feel when you wake up the next morning and you, um, you know, you, you know, overnight it's happened overseas that a massive celebrity shared it? And how's it felt for you, Brian, when you've had, you know, your products picked up and been in the Time magazine most influential products and been in these things? Like, how does it feel to wake up and have these kind of like media, media supernova <laughs> moments? 
Well, my mum texted me and said, Britney Spears is here, do you want her Facebook page? And I said, of course she hasn't. That's ridiculous. Oh, my God. You're looking at some clone account or something that's not real. But I went and had a look anyway because, you know, curiosity. And it turns out she had. And, yeah, that was. I love that you're being so chill about it. Like, mm, I just went and had a look. <laughs> well, I was acting chill. I was <laughs> not chill at all. Good. Um, I think. I think it was just me and my dog home at the time, and I had a conversation with him. I was like, this is a big deal. I need you to be more excited than normal. Bark, will you? <laughs> I'll give you a treat. <laughs> I'll give you a food wash. <laughs> oh, dear. Mm. Uh, and it was, I don't know, I walked into the office and we were a team of like four, so it, it rapidly got sad, actually, because we were like, well, we can't do anything about these orders. We make 100 bars a day if we're lucky. Mm. And I will email all these people and say thanks. But um, can you give us a couple of years? How many how many orders came in? Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds. Holy shit! And you couldn't fill them. God no, we were nowhere near it. It was laughable. We had um, friends and and Facebook fans answering the phones and emails. <gasps> like oh. it's it's fun now to look back at, but I think I had to drink four or five liters of water just to produce the amount of tears necessary. You know, it was wow. my mum worked with me and I threw a bottle at her one time, which is ironic because I was stressed. <sighs> and she is the best mum in the entire world because she walks up to me and just gives me a big hug and then, like, throw it. it was like a glass bottle. It wasn't I just threw it near her vicinity oh. and it sailed past yes. her and she was like, Oh, it's okay. We're all gonna be fine. It was really honestly, it was unnecessary. <laughs> I, if it happened now, I would be way cooler about it. But because I'm a much more grown-up human Honestly, being. I can relate to that, um, how you just felt, like, sad and overwhelmed and, like, I'm not ready for this because, like, in this one month where we, again, all the celebrities were sharing our shit, me and Ruby, we were living together at the time in Blenheim and we were both just, like, we don't know how to run a platform that touches this many people. Like, we were quite comfy at 200,000, which is still huge, but then we thought... Everything, like there are such high stakes on the line right now for everything. And and so many people are looking to us for information. And it was like, we're not experts in being a media company. We only know how to be human. And so we really, we had to, honestly, we were both like so anxious. I don't think I posted for a few days after that, like huge swell in followers because I was truly sitting there thinking, how can I be really responsible with this? And, I mean, I'm glad that I took the time to be like, okay, so I guess now I'm an editor and how do I share the best things I possibly can? But at the time, I was just terrified. I think that's it speaks to your, I don't know how to say quality of a human being because that sounds weird, but that speaks to how kind and, and nice and just thoughtful you are as a human being that you Aww. were pausing to collect yourself because how many people were like, yeah, I'm famous now, I'm going to go do <laughs> stupid stuff. Well, I had someone being like something that I knew that was like, oh, my gosh, okay, so now you have to start like put you have to put a selfie of yourself on there, like people need to know who you are. I was like, um, <laughs> absolutely not. That is never happening, no. <laughs> and did you have or do you still have like Instagram on your phone? Like do you just have, what are your notifications like? <laughs> Oh, there's no notifications on. There's no. No. No notifications on. Um, and to be honest, like my day-to-day is wake up real early, write the newsletter, and then the rest of the day is doing like emails and podcasts and researching for the newsletter. And Instagram now comes second because you can give way more context and like just so much more info in other mediums. So I'm sort of like um, Instagram, I love it for reaching lots of people, but for quality, I am focused in other areas, definitely. I think one of your best marketing moves was those mundane polls you do. I know. Because then they draw people to your newsletter and that's why you, how many 
people do you have on your news that are list? Um, like 55,000. Yeah, so that's yeah. infinitely more valuable. Yes. And, and you can get yes. so much more information with nuance yeah. across the people. And it's also nice because people still love to get enraged online. Like I've moved away from wanting to in, like wanting to invite people to get enraged about anything, but it's nice because if we do a mundane poll every day, it gives people somewhere to comment and to air their frustrations and to talk online, but about something that really doesn't matter. And so I would much rather that than something, you know, quite hateful, which 2020 was. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like the internet's a terrifying place. Um, but people who say that the toilet paper should come under the roll are monsters. And <laughs> they are monsters. And the actually no original patent um, says otherwise. So. Oh, well, there you go. And weirdly, I posted that mundane poll on the day that the patent, like, renewed, was, like, started. And I did not know that, but there was a universe being like, Lucy, Weird. you're so good at your job. <laughs> True serendipity. <laughs> yeah. If there was anything you knew way back when, maybe prior to 20, well, no, maybe 2020 when it all kicked off, what would you or would you not have done differently? Um, something I definitely wouldn't have done differently is the fact that we're all anonymous or like we're not front facing. Maybe I would have thought earlier with Ruby and Liv that this can actually be a business because for so long we were doing this, we were traveling, you know, I was working, Liv was studying, Rubes was working. And so maybe we would have made the decision earlier to just go for it. But also it just sort of happened really naturally. Every single thing about shit you should care about has been organic and natural and we haven't paid for anything or really had a leg up anywhere except for meeting the spin-off, which has been like the biggest help for us ever. But I I probably wouldn't do anything differently. I mean, I'll come off this podcast and I'll be like, Lucy, you idiot. Remember that three months where you didn't know anything about this? Could have done that easily. Um, but I don't know what I would have done differently. And as a final kind of thought, what would your advice be for anyone who is thinking about kind of doing something and finding that bigger audience? Like, I imagine, like, a really big part of your success is that you can be purely yourself because you're talking to the whole world. You don't mm-hmm. have to make people in a small market all happy. You can just find people who are like you everywhere. What would your advice be to people who are thinking of going global and selling to the world or creating these relationships internationally? I think, and I don't know if this, I think this across the board for all types of businesses, but young people especially really value transparency and authenticity. And so if your business, if you can find a way to make it feel like it has a voice and it's run by a person and not, you know, suits or a robot or whatever is actually maybe happening in the background, or if you can just make it feel really personal in whatever way that is, maybe it's the messaging on your ads or whatever, you can come to me for some copywriting advice. Um, But I just, I think that is super, super valuable. And then also, um, and this is easy for me to say because I have a team of three and I sort of want a team of three because I want to stay really like agile, but just start something without like doing, having to do too much planning that it stops you from doing the thing. And, and, like, fail fast. Just make any decision and do the thing and then sort of learn. Um, again, easy for me to say because I have a small team and I'm really impatient. <laughs> How is it working with your friends just as a... The best thing ever. It's the best thing ever because they are... Well, we're, like, fifth... We're now... We've been friends for, like, 10 years and so... If any of us see each other, like if they see that I'm getting too tired or working too much or whatever, they'll just be like, okay, stop, because the world can wait. 
But we like you for you, not for the person that writes the newsletter. And so I think our friendships always come first. Businesses come second. And that's because it's like a real organic business. But I would recommend it. I know people say don't work with your friends, but I couldn't work with anyone else. A lot of people say never work with your family. And I worked worked for a long time before my mum retired and... Throw a bottle at her and <laughs> at her general vicinity. Yeah. And then she uh, retired. Yeah. 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 I don't know, next day. <laughs> no, I kept her for a few more years, guys. Um, and they did, they, again, like I think I've said a million times in the last couple of days, is um, uh, conventional business wisdom is bullshit. <laughs> Maybe not bullshit. Yeah. No, I think you were right the first no, time. I love it. I think bullshit is the place to is yeah. the place to leave it. Yeah. <laughs> and do it do it your own way. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming and chatting to us about everything and, and export. Love it. Thank oh, you, Lucy. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. That was so cool to talk to someone so wildly successful who's done something quite different entirely on their own terms and absolutely smashed it. How refreshing. And so cool she's kind of scaled being a really cool person into this like 3.6 million person following. Um, And I I love the way that like their export is as much community support and as it is brand partnerships. So there's just all these ways that you can be an exporter that don't just look like, you know, meatpacking. Yeah, you don't have to re-export a product. Love it. Um, So yeah, thank you to Lucy Blackiston. Thank you to you, Brienne. Thank you to you for listening. And thank you for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, T.I.H. Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review or drop a rating uh, if you like what we do. Enohora. You've been listening to Going Global, brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. It was hosted by Brianne West and Simon Pound. It was produced by T.I. Hair Butler with content management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee. Special thanks to our partnerships editorial team of Elisa Rivera, Alice Webladall and Simon Day. If you want to know how New Zealand Trade and Enterprise can help you take your business to the world, visit getthere.nz today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.